You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 3, the verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and he will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And we'll turn to the other end of the gospel of John toward the end of The same book, John chapter 17, where we read more of the Lord Jesus' words concerning eternal life. John 17, and there we'll read the verses 1 through 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 22, question and answer 58. What comfort do you receive 
from the article about the life everlasting. Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in a sense, the passing of another year highlights for us the the temporal nature of life. Seasons come and go. Years come and go. 2013 is over. 2014 is already upon us. The things of last year are not anymore. And the things of this year are not yet until this year too. If the Lord should not return, itself passes. Life on this earth is temporary, and we understand that by the nature of everything that we see around us. Everything that is alive dies. Trees live and die. People live and die. Loved ones, no matter how much we love them, they pass away. But yet, as Christians, we confess that in spite of all the evidence before our eyes, life is not temporary. Life is not fleeting, but rather, life is everlasting. And that confession of life everlasting, it it unfolds our confidence that through the work of Jesus Christ and by faith in him, Life does last forever. Such is the extent of his work. That life goes on forever. Death is not the end of life because Jesus Christ died for us and rose again from the grave. And so life goes on for us. Death is not the end. Instead, it's an entrance into eternal life and eternal joy. This world, this declining and decaying world with all of its its losses and all of its death upon death that we see around us will not fizzle into nothingness. But it will be restored. It will be renewed to house a blessedness of life that we now can't even imagine. But yet we meditate on it this afternoon. We meditate on what God's word says of this life everlasting. And we find that it is a an article of faith of great comfort. And so our theme this afternoon is that as another year passes, find comfort in the everlastingness of life in Jesus Christ. As another year passes, find comfort in the everlastingness of life in Jesus Christ. We'll consider the joy of the already, how everlasting life impacts how we live today, and also we'll consider the blessedness of the not yet, the blessedness of what we don't experience yet, but what we only can look forward to. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, then you'll know that this warm and personal summary of the Christian faith is is packed with comfort. 
Comfort's a word that comes up over and over and over again. The catechism is always teaching us about the character and about the content of our comfort. The comfort that the Christian experiences in life. And so as we come to this question, 58 this afternoon, about the life everlasting, it's not surprising that we should hear about the comfort of this truth. In fact, the theme of comfort, as many of you will know, brings us back to the very beginning of the catechism. That famous first question of Lord's Day 1, what is your only comfort in life and death? And what is the content of that comfort? My only comfort is that I'm not my own, but I belong in body and soul to my faith in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Lord's Day 1 unpacks that comfort, you'll notice that the substance of that comfort that we have in Jesus Christ is the same substance of the comfort that we have in eternal life. I belong to Jesus Christ in life and in death. That is, nothing can separate me from God's love. He has fully, completely paid for all my sins, so that at no point do those sins come back to haunt me. And I have to suffer condemnation for them. He has set me free eternally from the power of the devil. He also preserves me. The the will of my heavenly father protects me day to day in my salvation. That eternal salvation that I enjoy is protected by God. As he orders things in my life. And the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He assures me of eternal life. He assures me that I'm secure in my eternal life and enables me to begin to live already now that life eternal. That eternal life that will I will enjoy forever. The comforted joy of belonging to Jesus Christ is the same thing as the comforted joy of eternal life. And as we would say without hesitance that Lord's Day 1 is very relevant for our lives today. All those truths that Lord's Day 1 unpacks being so relevant for our life today. So we must say then that this, the article of the life everlasting is relevant for life for us today. Already now, it brings us great, great comfort. And of course, that's very biblical. As I said, if there's one book in the Bible that, that deals with eternal life as a major theme, it's the gospel according to John. No less than 16 times is eternal life mentioned with respect to the work of Jesus Christ. The first one we read about, the famous one from John chapter 3. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have eternal life. Believe in Jesus Christ. Have right now and forever eternal life. And also, the last mention of eternal life happens in chapter 17, where we read as Jesus prays, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you. 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It is a knowing God. Can we experience eternal life now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Through Jesus Christ, we can come to know the Father and the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you believe in God, in other words, you begin to live eternally the life that is truly life. When you set your confidence in God, when you trust in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf for your salvation, you begin to live life as it's meant to be lived. Life that is truly life, life that is imperishable and never dies, life that is knowing God and loving God and living in communion with God, forever praising and glorifying Him. That is life. By faith in Jesus Christ, that's the life that we begin already now to live. Eternal life is super relevant for life today. Life today is eternal life. Or it's no life at all. It was said in ancient times that all roads lead to Rome. When you're the biggest city in the world, when you're the most important one, then all the roads in the world have their way of finding them, finding their way to you, to, to your city. Well, God has revealed himself in his word and through his word, all roads lead us to Jesus Christ. He's the epicenter of it all. And where, when you found your destination in Jesus Christ, then you found your eternal life, your eternal joy, your eternal comfort. Life, true life, is eternal life. And it impacts how we live then, of course, our life from day to day. Two major areas that we'll deal with this afternoon where eternal life affects our lives every day. Two applications that I think are very relevant for us today. The first one is how we experience and especially pursue pleasure in this world. How we experience and pursue pleasure in this world. The newspaper that I subscribe to, they will frequently ask questions of their readers. They'll post a question, and then you write back a response, and then a few days later, they'll publish all those responses in their letters section. Recently, coming up to 2014, they, they posted this question, what is on your bucket list for 2014? What's on your bucket List. If you've never heard of what a bucket list is, the concept is that you have certain items, trips, goals, places to see, things to do that you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket, before you die, that is. So that was the question. What's on your bucket list for 2014? And there was a certain response in there that stood out among all the others. Everyone wrote, I want to do this. I want to see that. I want this to happen. And there was one that was written by one of the regular writing staff of the newspaper. He wrote this. A bucket list is an absurd preoccupation for a man in his 40s. A Christian lives against the horizon of eternity, but not with a checklist in hand. The worthy life is a mission to be embraced, 
not a series of experiences to be had. The Christian lives against the horizon of eternity, but not with a checklist in hand, not with certain things that I need to check off because I'll never have a chance to experience them later. Not only is that not true, because we will live forever on this world, this world renewed and restored, but we will live forever. Will there be experiences we do not have? We have forever to experience these things. But that's not even the point. The point is that the worthy life is a mission to be embraced. God has put us here and now for a task. Because there is an end. It's appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment. There is an end. God is working out a plan in the here and now. He's reconciling all things to himself. It's a mission to be embraced, not a series of experiences to be had. Now, you may find it interesting that that quote was, in fact, written by a Roman Catholic priest. So I wouldn't suggest that all he believes is biblical, but that reflection on the concept of pursuing your personal pleasures in a race against the clock, his reflections on that ring with truth and wisdom and insight from God's word and relevant words for us today. Life for a Christian is life that goes on forever. And life for a Christian is a calling. It's a life of service. The one true God. So the first area is with pursuit of pleasures. The other area that's greatly affected by that moving back of the horizon of life is the opposite of pleasure. It's pain. Pain. Pain in life is real. You know that. Pain hurts. Physical pain, emotional harm, mental anguish, spiritual suffering is real. Pain is real in this life. And when you're experiencing pain, the experience is that a short time feels very long. Isn't that true? A short time when you're, when you're experiencing suffering and pain feels very long. It's like you're aware of, of every second and even sometimes every nanosecond as you experience pain. Very small and trivial example. You ever peeled off a, a band-aid? Of course, you're supposed to rip it off as fast as you can because what's the experience if you pull it off slowly? Slowly being about you know, three seconds or five seconds or something like that. It hurts and it feels like it doesn't take three seconds. It feels like it takes a half an hour because the pain focuses you in on the moment so that the moment seems to last forever. If you're going through an emotionally or spiritually difficult time, it can feel like how you feel now is how you've always felt and it's how you always will feel. That's the experience of pain and of suffering in this world. I mean, our Lord Jesus Christ experienced this. Remember when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and the, the pain and the, the anguish and the suffering that he, he was experiencing caused him to ask that the, the cup that he was bearing, the burden of carrying the sins of God's people, he asked that that cup might be passed. He, it was hard for him to, to see eternity. And to think of the consequences, such was the pain and the anguish that he was going through in that, that fairly short, 
but extremely difficult and intense time. But the Bible teaches us that that life does not come down to those moments, be they be they a few seconds or a few days or a few months or a few years or even a few decades or a whole lifetime. The Bible teaches us that life is everlasting and that these experiences of pain, though difficult, will pass. As Paul walked through in, in his ministry, difficult trials, he called them light and momentary. They were anything but what we would characterize as light and momentary. But that's how, that's what he characterized them as. Why did he characterize them as that? Because he said they're not worth comparing to the weight of glory that is in store for us. They're not worth comparing to everlasting life. The hundreds and thousands and millions of, of years in everlasting life make what I'm experiencing now just a short time. Intense and difficult, but short. The blessedness of eternity sheds light on the darkness of our present suffering and pain. In fact, God's word goes one step further. The Bible says that by God's grace, these painful trials that you are going through are not just something simply to be endured until they're over. But no, these trials are producing a harvest of righteousness and peace. And this harvest is a harvest that that will be enjoyed not in a measure comparable to the pain. The harvest will last forever, though the pain is but momentary. The sufferings are here now, but they are producing a harvest of eternal joy and righteousness that we will enjoy forever. God is not only working after our pain and our suffering, but God is working in our pain and our suffering. Such is what we confess when we confess the life everlasting. And so through knowing and meditating on the everlasting life, everlastingness of life, we gain valuable insights into the present, into the experiences and the plans that we have for now. But what is, what is it that we're looking forward to anyways? What is it about eternity that we look forward to? What's so great about it? What will it be like? We want details, don't we? We want details. But the fact is that we don't really know what it's going to be like. The catechism is right to pick on, pick up on Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2 that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind of man has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We, we don't know. We can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. Our minds, they, they, they want detail. We want texture. We want to know what is that eternal life going to be like? What can I count on? What's going to, what am I going to recognize? But we don't really know the character of that blessedness. We do know some things about that blessedness of eternal life. We do know that we will be there bodily, right? The resurrection of the dead teaches us that we will be there in the bodies. And so we will experience thing with our, things with our bodies. The Lord Jesus says that he will enjoy the wine new with us in the kingdom of his father. 
We will be able to drink wine. Grapes will grow, be pressed into wine. We'll be able to use our bodies. We know that it will be this world, but it will be this world renewed. This world without sin and only perfection. We don't really comprehend that. We know that that we will continue to worship God in a beautiful diversity. So we'll not all be changed into the same kind of being or thing in everlasting life. No, there will be continued diversity of praise and glory given to God, which the church in its Catholicity, in the different cultures and character of, of the people, tribes and tongues and nations being brought into the church already now begin to reflect. That will be, that will be heightened and amplified in eternity. If you want a picture, perhaps the best picture we have in scripture is from Revelation chapter 21. But even that is simply an impression. We shouldn't really think that that the streets will be paved with gold, that the gates will be made out of pearls, that all these, these fancy stones will be around. That That's simply to teach us that everything there will be more valuable, more precious, more beautiful, and more satisfying than anything that we could even imagine here. So we don't know what exactly life in this world is going to look like in the life everlasting. But we do know what the most significant component of this life will be. And it helps, actually, to go back again to the beginning of the catechism, not to the right beginning this time, but to Lord's Day 3. Lord's Day 3, the the word blessedness shows up in question answer 58. And that word blessedness brings us back to Lord's Day 3, question and answer 6, where we read, Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Adam and Eve were created to enjoy eternal blessedness. And they did experience that for a time. They were created to to know him who they would live with forever. And so the description of the blessedness enjoyed by Adam and Eve is a, a succinct and accurate description of the blessedness that we will enjoy. It will be a blessedness not so much about ourselves, but about God rightly knowing him, heartily loving him, and living with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. It will be a life where God is, is ultimately magnified and glorified. And we find ourselves, our our meaning, our existence, our joy in exalting Him, glorifying Him and praising Him, and living with Him in perfection. No sin separating us from Him. So the blessedness of, of eternal life is about knowing God. And so how can we begin to know the blessedness of the life everlasting? Well, where does God reveal himself? He reveals himself in his word. So every page of scripture becomes God's revelation of himself for us so that we might know him. 
We begin to know him now through his word. We begin to experience something of that life even now when we come to know God more and more. But then, after the resurrection of the dead and the renewal of the world, then we will know him in perfection. The end to which God is bringing all things in this world is a restoration of the world that he originally created. A world without sin and evil. A world in which there's perfect harmony of all relationships. Perfect worship of God. And perfect enjoyment of his grace and truth. Perfect knowledge of him. What we look forward to is what it was like in the beginning. Except better. Except better. What will make it even better? Because within that perfect blessedness, we'll be able to sing the song of the Lamb. In that perfect blessedness, we will be able to sing of the triumph of Jesus Christ over sin and evil. We will be able to sing the victory songs of our Lord. We'll be able to praise Him, not only the God who has made all things, just like Adam and Eve were were able to do, but we will be able to praise Him, the God who has remade all things, who has reconciled all things in this world to Himself. Adam and Eve, in their perfect blessedness, could, could appreciate certainly the breadth of the love of God, but in eternal blessedness, we will be able to appreciate the depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. That he would enter our weakness, our finiteness, our shame in order to rescue sinful and undeserving enemies by suffering humiliation and dying for them. We will know the lengths to which Jesus Christ has gone to redeem us that we might enjoy this eternal blessedness with God. And we will be able to spend all of our lives and all of our energy and all of our emotions and all of our minds and all of our strengths worshiping and loving God for what he's done in Jesus Christ. The blessedness of eternity is a blessedness in which our majestic God and his eternal son, together with the Holy Spirit, are the ones who receive endless, exuberant, and eternal Praise. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.